And the adults will turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. In the word of the Lord today. Romans chapter 3. <clears throat> praise God. Praise God. I'm excited about the book of Romans. I'm just excited this morning. We talked about chapter 2, Romans chapter 2. The Jewish people thought they had basically, in a sense, a hold on God for salvation simply because they had the heritage that they were Jewish. And in our understanding of Jewishness, we're not just talking about specific tribe of Judah, although that in its ultimate sense, that's what a true Jew would be, a, a descendant from the tribe of Judah. But Mordecai, or Mordecai, in the book of Esther, was called a Jew, but he was a Benjamite. So a Jew began, became a term that identified the people of God, Israel, no matter what tribe you are a part of. Because it wasn't just a national thing, but it was a religious thing. So when you speak of the Jewish people, you're talking about them as a people nationally. And you're also talking about their faith, their religious belief system. Okay. So we talked about chapter 2 and how that they were trusting in their Jewishness, their heritage. That just because they were Jewish, that meant that they were going straight to heaven. And then we talked about the fact that because they had knowledge of the Word of God... They felt that that was, you know, what gave them the right to have eternal life. Just a knowledge of the Word. But just a knowledge of the Word doesn't do it. You have great knowledge of the Word of God and that doesn't save you. And then we talked about ritual or ceremony or the circumcision. Physical circumcision. They felt just because they had physical circumcision that that would make them right with God. But if there's no relationship with the Lord and no holiness of life, then those things do no good. Right? And so, Paul, anticipating questions that would arise from this, it seemed like that he was coming across as attacking Israel. But he was not attacking Israel. He was not attacking the Jewish people. He was not anti-Semitic. He was not preaching replacement theology. That the church replaced Israel. But he came under the gun, so to speak, and he was charged uh, with attacking Israel because of his stance. Okay? And so chapter 3, verse 1, he's, here's the question. What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Well, if their knowledge and their heritage and their ritual did not put them in a right relationship with God, well, what advantage? They were the covenant people of God. Paul's point is this. He is not attacking the election or God's choosing of the nation of Israel. He chose Israel. He elected them. They were a special people to him above all the nations of the earth. They are his God, God's chosen people according to race. But when Paul gets through it, acts like that 
He just throws all that election away. God's choice upon them as a people. But that is not what Paul was preaching at all. He was not preaching replacement theology that the church replaced Israel and that God was through with Israel. He was not saying that God did not have an election for them. But election doesn't guarantee redemption. Do you understand that? You may be called and you may be chosen. You may be elected, but it doesn't mean that you're saved. Because just because you're chosen, just because you're elected, doesn't guarantee redemption. Okay? So he's going to deal with the election of, of, of Israel and God's choice people and what that meant, okay? And define for them the fact that he was not coming against Israel. Isn't that sad? That the Apostle Paul appeared to people as a man who was attacking Israel. He was an Israelite. You understand? So the question, what advantage then hath the Jew or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. You can be seated. What advantage then if heritage and knowledge and ritual did not make you right with God, put you in a right relationship with God, then what advantage was it? To be elected. Well, he talks about the advantage of the Jew. He said, number one, he said, because unto them were committed the oracles of God. An oracle is a supernatural utterance. They were the ones who received the revelation of God. They were the ones who were the, the transcribers of the mind of God. They gave us the word of the Lord. God used them as, as the tool. He spoke to them supernatural utterances. He gave them the divine mind of God. He revealed it to them. So that in turn they could take it to the world. So that's saying something if God is talking to you directly. And God is giving you a supernatural utterance. And you're transcribers of the mind of God. You're putting it on paper for the world. That's awesome to be chosen by God. To be elected by God. To be the conduit. To receive the revelation from God Almighty Himself. That's powerful. And for us today as a church, we have that advantage. Because we receive from God the oracle. Or the supernatural utterance from God. Or the revelation of God. The mind of God. We receive that as a church because He speaks to us. Through His Word. So we've got that advantage too now. But that doesn't guarantee salvation. Just because I can come in here and I can feel His presence. And, and you know, hear His Word. Doesn't mean I'm saved. So a lot of people think just because they went to church and heard the Word of the Lord. That they're on their way to heaven. That is not Bible. We are a privileged people because unlike a lot of church systems, God speaks here. It's not just a man talking. I don't want. Listen, if it's just a man talking here, I'm going to step down and get somebody in here that God's talking to. Because we need to hear from God in this hour. We don't need just to hear 
the opinions and thoughts of men. We need supernatural utterance. We need the divine mind given to us. We need direction from him, especially in this hour. So we've got a great advantage as a church because we are hearing from the Lord. It's not just a dried letter, but it is anointed by the Spirit of God. It has an unction upon it. It is supernatural power. So they had a great advantage in the fact that they were the ones who received the word of God and the mind of God, the revelation of God. Now that might not mean a whole lot to some people, but that means a lot if you're after God. Then he goes on and he says this. For what if some did not believe, shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Paul is attacked here in the area of promise. Isn't Israel, I'm going to ask y'all today to interact with me. Isn't Israel the promised seed of God? Weren't they the elect in the Old Testament, the promised seed? Didn't God give them great and precious promises? Led them to a promised land? They are a people who have received more promise from God than any nation in the world. They are the people of promise, the people of election. Well, what about these promises, Paul? Are you attacking this promise that God has made to Israel? Are you saying that God is through with Israel now? Watch this. What about the promise? So he says, For what if some did not believe, shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? The problem is not that God has laid aside His promises to Israel. That's not the issue. God is faithful. The problem was not with God. The problem was with they misunderstood and misinterpreted the oracle. See, just because you get the Word of God, just because you get the supernatural utterance from God, doesn't mean that you are properly understanding it or interpreting it. See, they got the Word of the Lord, but they misinterpreted it. And they misunderstood the Word of God in the area of promise. When God made promises or covenants with Israel, there are certain covenants, promises that God made with Israel that were unconditional. Unconditional for the nation. Not for the individual. Do you understand? So that if God made a promise. To the, to the nation. And for whatever reason it didn't come to pass. It doesn't mean that God missed it. It doesn't mean that God was unfaithful to them or to you. God can make promises to us, but those promises are conditional. That's where we miss it a lot of times. God gave me a promise. God spoke to me. He said, I'm going to do this for you. And we feel like because God made the promise that it is unconditional. That I don't have anything to do with it. That I don't have to obey. The conditions of the promise. 
Are you with me? But that's not the way God works. When he gives a promise, he's faithful to keep the promise. But the problem is we don't meet the condition. And that's what they misunderstood. See, when they read the Word of God, a lot of times they read that God made promises to Israel. And that we are the promised seed. We're the chosen of God. And they refuse to see what some might say the negative side of that. Let me give you an example. Let's go to Amos chapter 3. Y'all with me still here? Do you understand what we're doing? Amos chapter 3. Now so much that is said to Israel in these passages are for us to apply to our own life and to our church. Because we are the covenant people of the Lord. Right? We have many promises given to us. And we think that just because God gets up or God speaks to us, maybe corporately or individually, that He's going to do something. We have this idea that it's automatic. But what you have to understand is that God is always faithful, but it's conditional. Okay? Condition. You have to meet the conditions to get the promise. When, it, when God made promise to Israel to go and possess the land, that land belonged to God. He gave it to Israel. But He said, you got to go and possess your possession. You've got to do something. Just because you've heard my word, just because you've got a knowledge of my word, just because you've heard all of these wonderful promises that I have for my people, doesn't mean that it's automatic. It is conditioned upon your obedience. Are you with me here? Now let me give you an example. God is going to save the church corporately. There will be a, a church that is saved. And Israel will be saved as a nation. Do you understand? God's got a plan for them. He will fulfill His promises to them. Do you understand? The, the important thing to understand is not everybody in Israel is going to be saved. And not everybody in the church is going to be saved. Just because you come into the church and say, I'm a part, I'm a member of the church, doesn't mean you're saved. And just because you claim to be a part of the nation of Israel, doesn't mean you're saved. You still have to meet the conditions of the covenant. And that's where they were missing it, okay? Let's go Amos 3. I told you to turn there. And Hallelujah. Y'all with me here today? <clears throat> Amos 3 and verse 2. Watch this. This is what the Old Testament says. And this is the way it was throughout the Bible in the Old Testament. Again, but they misinterpreted and misunderstood it. Verse 2. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. And that's where they stopped. God knows us. We're the people of promise. We're the chosen people. He knows us, they claim. But that's where they stopped. Because in their mind, they thought it was unconditional. But let's keep reading a little bit. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Greater knowledge brings greater responsibility. 
If you know God, you are required and responsible to live a repentant and obedient life unto the Lord. You with me here? So they wanted to kind of overlook the responsibility they had, the conditions that was placed upon them by God. And just walk around in this unconditional eternal security, if you will. You understand? Because remember, God called us His chosen. God said He knows us. But Israel again missed it because they didn't understand that it was conditional. All right, now watch this. Go back to Romans 3. So, concerning these promises then, Paul lets them know. Verse 3, For what if some did not believe, shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yet let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and might, mightest overcome them, that thou art judged. God is faithful. God is not through with the nation of Israel. Do you believe that? He still has a purpose for them. And ultimately as a nation, and we'll look at that when we get to Romans 9, 10, and 11. We're going to see ultimately that God has a plan for them as a nation to be saved. Right now, though they have been temporarily set aside as a nation. Come on. Until the fullness of the Gentiles come in, then God will turn back to them and begin to deal with them as a nation. It does not mean that God cannot work with them individually and draw them individually into this salvation right now. But as a nation, Israel is blind. They are blind to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus is the only way to be saved. They are currently blinded and the Gentiles are coming in to the kingdom. Now, the Spirit of the Lord is still moving upon natural Israelites and drawing them into salvation but as a nation they're temporarily set aside do you understand these things when you begin to see Israelites or Jewish people get the Holy Ghost and get baptized in Jesus name that is telling you that the Lord is soon to come that is a last day sign that the Lord is soon to come when you start seeing uh, Jewish people start coming in the kingdom so do you understand that God deals with them as a nation corporately and unconditionally he says, I will save all of Israel. That doesn't mean every national Israelite. That means every Israelite who believes, who has faith, who's committed and submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's not through with them as a nation. There's going to be multitudes of Jewish people saved in the tribulation period. Do you hear that? That's very important for us to understand. All right, so that's the way he deals with them nationally. They've temporarily been set aside. He's going to turn back to them and deal with them again in the future. But he deals with them individually even to this present hour. So do you understand what my point is? Is this. Unconditionally, God says, I'm going to save a nation. Unconditionally, God says, I'm going to save a church. And I'll just use the word church for your understanding. What does that mean? 
if I get in the church, the church because the church is predestined for glory. If I get in the church because the corporate body called the church is destined for glory. If I get in it, then I'll be in glory. Predestination is not so much upon the individual as it is upon a corporate body. He has predestined a church for glory. He has predestined Israel to be saved. And if you get in that covenant, then you will be saved individually. Some people think, well, I'm just predestined to go to hell. No, you're not. And some people think, well, I'm just predestined to go to heaven. No, you're not. The body, the corporate body is destined. The church is destined. Israel's destined. So if you get in the church, guess what? You individually will be in glory. My point is, he says, there's going to be a church. He's going to have a church. And they're going to be with him in eternity. If you get in that church, you'll be with him in eternity. If you don't, you won't be there. Do you understand? He said there's going to be a harlot church system. A corporate body. But I don't have to get in. He promised that was going to happen. But I don't have to be a part of that individually. So he, he deals unconditionally with certain corporate bodies. He said this is what it's going to be like. This is the destiny of these corporate bodies. Unconditionally. Where the condition comes in is where I put myself. Individually. The condition. Where are you going to put yourself? You're going to be in the church that's destined for glory? Are you going to stay out there in the world, the corporate world that's destined to hell? See? Okay, so you get the point, don't you? That God is not through with the nation of Israel. He's not through with His corporate body, the church. He's in the process of bringing multitudes of people into this corporate body. His body. The body of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you get in it, then you'll experience the salvation. But individually, it's conditional. It was conditional for Israel. All right? He said, I know you. But he says, I will what? With your iniquities? I will punish you for all your iniquities. Amos 3.2. Let me read that again. We need this very desperately. You only have I known of all the families of therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. In the Old Testament, Israel was commanded by God to do what? To repent and to obey. So just because they were chosen or elected doesn't mean that they're automatically right with God. Because in that connection of being chosen, they had to obey. There were conditions. Do you, know, do you understand the point? Individually. All right? So, then don't fail to understand that when you read about certain unconditional covenants, that you think the unconditional promise or covenant is to an individual. Because it's not. It's to individuals in that corporate body 
who have obeyed his conditions for the covenant. And in our case, it is the gospel. Let's do something. Let's go over here to Philippians. I hope I'm not losing you. He is not through with the nation of Israel. But individuals in Israel are lost and go to hell. He will save the nation. But not every individual is going to be saved in Israel. Just because of their heritage. Just because of their knowledge. And just because of their circumcision. That doesn't make them right with God. Have they come into the covenant? Have they come into the gospel? Have they believed that form of doctrine that was delivered to them? Have they repented? Have they obeyed it? See, we need this real bad. I'm telling you because a lot of times we hear God wants to do something for us. You hear individually, God wants to do, God speaks to you, said, I want to do this for you. And you go out and say, I got a promise. God told me he's going to do this for me. And that's what we want to hear. But there are conditions for that promise to come to pass. God is faithful. That is not the question. God is faithful to keep the promise and keep the covenants that he made. The problem is unbelief upon the person. Unbelief on the person's part. That's what keeps the promise from coming that's why we don't enter into many promises of God. Because we don't possess, possess our possessions. We don't go get the promise by obedience and fulfilling the condition of that promise. You can't say, okay, God bless my finances. And if you're, if you're not keeping the conditions that brings the blessing upon your finance, you have no right. To be blessed in your finances. Do you understand? Oh, I want a relationship with God. He died for me. But how much time are you spending with Him in prayer? There is a, a condition. Yeah. Sure God wants to move here. Sure God right here this morning wants to work miracles. But have you met the conditions in your faith? You understand? Let me see if I can get this here for you. Paul talks about all that he was as a, as a man... What he trusted in. Finally, my brethren, verse 1, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you to me. Indeed, it is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Who's that? The concision is the naturally circumcised people. For we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. He said your natural circumcision or your natural concision... Look at it. It's not what is important. You see? Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which who? Worship God in the spirit 
and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And he talks about how he could have confidence in the flesh. Circumcised the eighth day. The stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews, touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Okay? So true circumcision are people who have embraced the gospel. Not people who have been physically circumcised in the flesh. A person who is physically circumcised in the flesh, who has rejected the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, is seen as a dog. They are not seen as saved. Now watch this. Let's go back over to Romans. You only have I known of all the families of the therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. That's Amos 3. Okay, let me get back to Romans. Romans 3. Verse 3. For what if some did not believe, shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? The problem is not with God. The problem is they haven't met the conditions. God is always faithful. Paul, you're saying that circumcision doesn't do anything for us? Physical circumcision? You're saying just a knowledge of the Word of God doesn't do anything for us? You're saying, are you here? That our heritage doesn't do anything for us as far as salvation goes? He said, that's right. As far as salvation goes, it means nothing. But what you did get was the Word of the Lord, the Word of God, the oracle of God. You received the promises of of the Lord but you misinterpreted and misunderstand understood that those promises were conditional individually and unconditionally nationally did that make do you understand do you understand this is very important we need to hear that because I can't tell you how many times God has spoken to you spoken to this church with great promises. But because we don't fulfill the conditions of it. We don't obey. We're in iniquity and we're in sin. We don't receive the blessing. We don't receive the promise. We don't walk in it. We're not going up and possessing the possessions by faith. How many know the Lord loves you? How many know the Lord wants to save you? Well, I'm sorry to tell you, Hispanics, but just because you're, you know, Latino, that don't make you right with God. Just because your skin's a little darker than mine, it don't make you right with God. Now, I'm just picking on the Latinos. It don't matter what color skin you are. Just because you're an American and a Republican don't make you right with God. See, our heritage means nothing. But God is still faithful to His promise. If He promised it in His Word, He's faithful to keep that promise as long as the conditions are met.
verse 4. God forbid, yea, let God be true, be, but every man a liar. It is written that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. You want to point the finger at God that God has been unfaithful? You want to lay something to the charge of God that, you know, it's God's failure? God said something, He didn't come through with it? And then you want to blame God? That's just like a little man, isn't it? God promised it to me. I believed it, you know. It's in His Word, but it hasn't happened for me. So you point the finger at God and blame God for it. And quit the church. Get mad. Get bitter. And walk out of the house of God. Walk out of the church and walk out on God. You know why? Because you feel God let you down. God let me down. I'll never set face in another church again. I'll never pray again. I'll never read His Word. I'll never. Because God let me down. God never let any of us down. God has never failed. Not one time. He has never let me down. And every promise that He has ever made, He keeps. The problem is, there was something in my life that wasn't right. Come on, can we get real here? But you see, that's the problem with mankind. Mankind tries to justify self. I told you before, you could go into a prison cell and ask every prisoner in that, in that cell, and none of them are guilty. Not one of them are guilty. Every one of them will tell you, I'm innocent. I've been falsely accused. The jury was prejudiced. They mistook me for another man. Well, that might be true, you know, from one or two or whatever, but it's not true of the whole bunch. My point is everybody wants to justify their life and their action and blame, play the blame game, want to pass it on somebody else, want to play the blame game, and so... Ultimately, God is faithful to His promises. And you can't blame God. You can't point the finger at God. God didn't let you down. You need to get rid of your bitterness. And you need to repent. And you need to get right. You need to own it. Look at your neighbor. If you've got a neighbor sitting beside you. If not, look at that angel and tell him, I'm going to own it. I'm going to stop playing the blame game. I'm going to stop pointing the finger at everybody else as the reason why, you know, it's not happening for me. Why isn't it happening for you? It's not because God didn't promise, and it's not because God doesn't want to. There's something in our, in our life that is out of line. If I don't meet the conditions... then I will receive the promise. It's guaranteed. Yes, hallelujah. I can tell you right now, I live for the Lord about 24 years now, and I can tell you right now, I can stand up here and testify that the Lord has never let this preacher down. Not one time. He has never let my wife down. He has never let my family down. Not one time. And He has never let His church down. Not one time. And why is it that we're not 
receiving all these promises. Well, it's not because of God. I've got the problem. Not God. Do you understand? So, again, concerning Israel and the Jewish people, yes, God gave them promises. They were a chosen people, but the conditions weren't met. But that doesn't mean that He's through with them nationally. He's going to fulfill the unconditional promise that He will save Israel, the believers in Israel. The whole corporate body, the whole church can be in unbelief. But you and an individual say, I'm going to walk in faith. I'm going to be committed to Him. I'm going to obey Him. I'm going to receive His promises. Because I'm going to meet the conditions that He's laid down for me. Come on, somebody. And after Paul deals with this, this indictment or accusation, are you with me that he was attacking Israel? He explains it wasn't God's problem. The promises are still true. The problem was with Israel. But they misinterpreted it because they didn't want the negative side. They didn't want the responsibility that comes with the, with the promise. Yeah. He deals within the, pure, the Lord's purity here. He says, now watch this. Okay. Well, then if God is still faithful and Israel is unfaithful, and if it seems like that the unfaithfulness of Israel magnifies God's faithfulness, then let's everybody sin so that God can get more glory. Right? See, if God is still faithful to Israel, even when Israel is unbelief, Paul is being attacked as preaching this anti-law or anti-nomianism which gives you a license to sin. And that living in sin magnifies the grace of God. Watch this. Yes, God is still faithful despite Israel's unfaithfulness. God is still faithful despite your unfaithfulness. But my unfaithfulness does not magnify or glorify the Lord. He does not condone my sin. He doesn't accept my lifestyle, lifestyle that is contrary to His Word. Watch this. Now Paul is being accused of preaching this gospel that gives you a license to live outside of the commandment of God. How many of you know that, there, that God's Word, Old Testament and New Testament, is still for us today? Do you believe that? This book is one book. It's not two books. It's not, a, you know, the Old Testament, one book, New Testament, new book. This Bible is one book. It's one Bible. Let me explain what I'm talking about. Let me read it to you again. Now, Paul uses phrases that sometimes are hard for us to get a hold of. But 
verse 5. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid. For then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my law unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. He is being charged here. Of preaching a gospel, a system of belief that basically says it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how you live. You can live in sin and when you sin against God and you run back to God and say, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. That that's supposed to magnify His grace. And it's supposed to give Him glory. The fact that you could run back to Him continually living a life of unrepented sin. Living a lifestyle in sin. You with me? And just go back to church and say, the Lord will forgive me. That is not the gospel that Paul preached. He didn't preach this gospel that is being promoted from pulpits today. That says the grace of God covers everything. And you can live in adultery. You can live in fornication. You can do whatever you want to do and live in sin and still go to heaven. That is not what Paul preached that's what men say. And they said that that's what Paul was preaching when he preached them the gospel of grace that we're saved by grace. But that's not what he was preaching. Paul wasn't saying, okay, you, you know, we're just all sinners and we all come short of the glory of God. And you know, everybody's got to sin a little bit. But the grace of God will cover it. And all I got to do is just go back to church and he'll forgive me. And I can live in this unrepented lifestyle and unrepented sin. And God's grace and love will just keep forgiving me. You are wrong. Paul puts it this way. He said that's the way they looked at him when he preached this gospel of faith and grace. He says that, uh, let me see, verse 8. And not rather as we be slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come. Whose damnation is just. He said they are going to be judged by God. They are going to be condemned by God. They will receive damnation for preaching a gospel. A loose gospel. That, that says you can continue to live in sin. And still be saved. We got to hear this today. Because that is not what Paul preached. He says, you're saved by grace. Through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A total commitment and submission to Him. With your mind, will, and your emotions. Your whole life has to be surrendered to Him. Do you understand? Paul never preached, we're saved by grace so we can continue to live in sin. If that's true, what were we saved from? What did God save us from? What change has there been? What difference is it? If I come to church and claim to be saved and go out there and live in an unrepented lifestyle. 
You know what that is? That's proof you're not saved. That's what Paul is saying. That's proof you're not saved. James says, you're saved by works. Paul says, you're saved by faith. You know how they both go together? Because when you really get saved, you're going to have the works. And if you don't have the works and you're living in an unrepented sin today, then you have no guarantee of eternal life. And for people to stand behind the pulpits and preach this humanism and psychology just tries to lift the guilty feelings. You know why a person feels guilty? Because they are guilty. And not hit, not deal with sin and unrepentance. And oh, I went to church, so I'm the people of God. And you know, all of that. And my sin just glorifies God. Because every time I sin, all I got to do is just say the grace of God covers me. And that is one of the greatest lies from Satan. It is the most damnable doctrine in the modern church this hour is to stand up and preach a gospel of grace that doesn't call you to accountability, doesn't call you to commitment, doesn't call you to surrender. It is damning people's soul to hell. Paul said their, their condemnation or their damnation is just. Let's go to Jude verse 4. Let's see how. Jude phrases this. <clears throat> now, I was hoping I'd be a lot further along in this chapter, but I feel like I'm having to wrestle with you in your understanding. And that's okay, because I want you to understand it's very important that number one, his promises are conditional. And number two, grace doesn't give you a license to live in unrepented sin. I'm sinning, but the grace of God covers it. Bless His holy name. Watch. You might be elect. You might be chosen. But God will judge the people of God's iniquities. Now Jude, verse 4. Watch this. Jude, verse 4. No wonder Paul was so strong in this. He said their judgment... Uh, their condemnation is just. Anybody that preaches like that. Jude verse 4 he says. For there are certain men crept in unawares. Who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Just what Paul said. Who are they? They are ungodly men. Turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. And denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You can turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Lascivious means unrestrained evil. Unrestrained evil. It is a person who has got to a point. They don't care about consequences. Do you understand? It's a person who uses the grace of God as a justification to live in sin. And, and 
the writer Jude says it this way. He says, anybody that lives a, in an unrepented lifestyle, unrestrained sin, who doesn't care about the consequence, he says, they use the grace of God. Turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. And they deny our Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They are Christ rejectors. They deny the Lord Jesus Christ. How many people do you know? They'll tell you, they'll look you right in the face like those prison inmates. I'm going to heaven. And they are living in a lifestyle of unrepented sin. And just because you go to church, my friend, doesn't mean you're going to heaven. How's your lifestyle? Are you using the grace of God as a license to masquerade your disobedience? That, that sends people to hell, that message. Because you know what it is? It is a denial of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a rejection of the gospel. That is not the gospel. Heavy. Heavy. Now, look, I've been pastoring for a while, so I don't, I don't get up here to try to be a politician, you know, and I'm not into that. I'm here to tell you the truth that you're going to have to repent. You're going to have to obey God. You're going to have to meet His conditions. Just because we're in the dispensation of grace, so to speak, doesn't mean that we can break all His commandments in those first books of the Bible and live in sin and disobedience and rebellion against God shacking up living together having sex before we get married and all kinds of say well grace of God I went to church I feel pretty good and then go back and commit the same sin I'm telling you I'm going to look you point blank in the eyeballs you can come and fight me after church if you want to I don't care I'm going to look you in the eyeball you're going to go to hell like that you're going to be burning, my friend. You better repent. You better get it right. Because this is not what Paul preached. He didn't preach a grace and a love thing. Oh, the Lord just going to forgive me because He loves me. He won't judge anybody because God loves everybody. He does love everybody. But He will judge sin. And, and that goes for this preacher. If I'm living in unrepentant sin, you know what? The judgment of God is already against that. There is already a destructive force set in my life because it is the set anger of God against sin. So some of you are saying, well, Pastor, you're really, man, you're condemning me right now. No, I'm not. I'm telling you, if you've got unrepentant sin in your life, it's going to send you to hell. The answer is repent. Repent. Turn from it. Put it under the blood. Do something about it. Stop making excuses. Stop playing the blame game. And if listen to me carefully. If you lawfully cannot do what you would like to do according to the word of the Lord, you know what you've got to do about that? You've got to get out of that relationship. It's got to line up with the book. You've got to get out of that situation. If it doesn't line up lawfully with this book. I don't care if it's in the Old or the New Testament. 
what I love. Oh, I don't know why I'm hitting this, but maybe I need to hit this. But I love a pastor. What I'm going to do? You don't have a lawful right, according to that word of God, to have that relationship. You got yourself in the mess. It's not God's problem. It's yours. Deal with it. Do you want to be saved? Pull your eye out. Cut your arm off. So if you think I'm radical, I'm not even close to being as radical as Jesus. He said, pull your eye out, cut your arm off. You got to do it. You got to deal with sin radically because sin sends you to hell. Remember what I said last week? It only takes one match to light the whole forest on fire. It only takes one snake bite to kill you. It only takes one sin to damn you. That's what the Bible says. I hope I'm helping somebody because I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm trying to use the law to wake you up. I'm trying to use the law to shake you out of hell and to shake you into, into if you are in despair today, that's good. You need to be in despair today because you need to run to Jesus. He's the only one that can save you. Because just because you're under grace right now doesn't mean His law does not condemn that sin. God hasn't set His law aside just because we're under grace. His law still works today. It condemns sin. It drives you to despair. Drives you to Jesus Christ. It still fulfills its purpose today. God hadn't set His law aside. His word aside. Boy, some of you thinking right now, this may be the last chance you ever get. Because you've been playing games with God for years. Coming in church with your self-righteousness and feeling like you're pretty good, you know. But I, you came in a house today that wants you saved. You came into a place. And I'm going to speak it in love because I love you. I'm speaking it in love. But I'm telling you, it's still the truth. God hasn't. The Bible, we're going to see it in a minute. God hasn't laid aside His law because we're in grace. The gospel message establishes the law. It doesn't replace it. It doesn't throw it aside. It establishes the law. You're using the law, Pastor. You better believe I'm using it because God hadn't done away with it. He's still using it. Okay. Now I'm trying, I'm speaking this in love, but you've got to hear this. You can't use the grace of God as a license or the love of God as a license to live in sin. That is a rejection of the gospel and a denial of the Lord Jesus Christ. You understand? And that's what Paul is saying. They were accusing him of being antinomianism, into antinomianism or anti-law. He wasn't preaching that kind of license message. And he said anybody that does, their condemnation is just. Now, I don't know why preachers won't preach it today other than maybe they don't have the courage. Some of them are not called. They've got ulterior motives for being in the pulpit. I don't know, but they are accountable to God to stand up and preach this book because this is not my opinion. See, you could get offended in me today if this was my opinion, but this is not my opinion I'm preaching. This is solid word. This is God. I'm not your problem. God is not your problem. 
You got to get it right. Do you understand? So there are people today, they're backslid. Some of them, I've pastored them for years. Walk right out of the church. Never even tell you where they are. But they justify their actions. Come on. It's not personal. I'm just telling you. And they go out there and they walk in this false sense of security. A false a sense of security. It's false. It's not real security. I'm okay. God loves me. His grace. You know. Everything be alright. That's not what my Bible preaches. That's not what my Bible says. That's not what God says. But I don't like it, Pastor. God didn't ask you if you liked it. He didn't take it. He didn't take an opinion poll. It's not the ten suggestions. It's the ten commandments. He's not asking me. He's commanding me. And, and so I can't as a pastor, I cannot look at somebody in the, and their life is in sin and unrepentant sin and tell them, it's okay. It's going to take you a little time to get rid of that sin. No, you better get rid of it now. You know what? You would take your doctor, you would sue him. If he found cancer in you and he said, ah, we'll just give it a little time. Give it a little time. What do you mean give it a little time? If you give it a little time, it's going to run all the way through my body and I'm going to be in the grave. We can't give it a little time. I can't look at you and say, we're just going to give your sin a little time. No, i got to call you to repentance. I've got to tell you, as long as you're in sin, it's going to send you to hell. And i got to tell you, you've got to be radical, man, when you come in. You've got to be radical coming in. You've got to be radical when you are in. Radical to come in and radical to grow. Because if you don't, every one of us, including this pastor, we're liable to fall. So I'm not going to be deceived. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want you to be deceived. Now, Paul does not want you to be deceived about the grace of God. It does not cover everything. I said the grace of God does not cover everything. It does not cover unbelief. It does not cover unrepentance. So either we're walking under the grace of God because we're living a repentant lifestyle. We've got it under the blood. We're obeying the Lord, keeping His conditions, surrendered and committed to Him. And that's the way we're walking in the grace of God. Or right now we're walking under the law of God. How are we walking under the law of God? Because if I'm in sin right now, unrepented sin, the law is against me. The law has already stood up in judging that sin. So what do I have to do with that sin? I have to run to Jesus and repent. And repentance is not just confession. Repentance is I'm going one direction and I'm turning completely away from it. That's what repentance is. Sin is not a mistake. Sin is not an error. Come on. I made a mistake. Why don't we, well, let's just call it what it is. I sinned. 
didn't make a mistake. It was an error. It was sin. It may have been a mistake. It may have been an error, but it's still sin. Call it what it is. That's what God calls it. We call it an affair. God calls it adultery. But see, we're trying to be politically correct. We're trying to be humanistic. The gospel is offensive. Watch this. Watch this. Is this helping anybody here? He goes on. He says, you know, if my sin glorifies God's grace, then who does God think he is? And I'm putting in paraphrase. Who does God think he is? When he judges my sin, if my sin honors him and glorifies him, his grace, then why God doesn't have a right to judge me then. The point is God does not condone sin and my sin does not honor him. That's what Paul is saying here. So. Just because Israel was un in unbelief doesn't mean that un that unbelief magnified the grace of God. It dishonored the grace of God. It dishonored God. Sin. Can I understand? Is this helping anybody, anybody in here today? Whew, man. See, and I'm starting to really get a hold of an understanding of this. I'm not going to get into details right here, but uh, a brother called me on, and uh, he told me about something that was going on in the church for years in his church, and this particular individual had caused people to stumble and fall in the house and everything else, and he said he got to a place, he was real merciful and real gracious with this man, he got to a place where he called the ministry that was with him in the church, and they had a meeting with this man, this man came in real bold, you know, real, self, real cocky and real arrogant and self-confidence that he was just right in what he was doing, and this minister and these other ministers confronted him and he said he said now brother this is what you did and this is how you 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 know caused people to fall and this is and you know all arrogant and cock, prideful you know what they did they started laying the truth on him let me just put it this way they laid the law down and you know what as a result of the law being laid down that man went over there and sat down and cried and wept and said, Pastor, how can I make it right? And the pastor said, you're going to write a letter to everybody that you caused to fall. He said, I know it wasn't all your fault. They were weak. But Satan used you to help them fall because of their weakness. He said, you're going to write a letter to every one of those people you call were involved in causing them to fall and you're going to stand in front of that church and you're going to publicly apologize and when this pastor told me this I said wow that's the way the law works when you lay down the law then the person is pushed into a place where all they can do is run to repentance Run to Jesus. What must I do to be saved? When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, they said, what must I do to be saved? Do you understand? And I told this pastor, I said, you know what? 
I'm getting a revelation on how the law of God works now. Because you and your ministry team use the law in this situation. This man is going to be saved. If they wouldn't have put the law down, this man would have continued in sin. And ultimately, he would have lost his soul. Thank God for a man of God. Thank God for ministry that will stand up and use the law at times. So that the only place we can run to is repentance and obedience. They could have just kept using grace as, as you know, the motive and the method of dealing with this man. And this man was already on the verge of walking out of the church. Giving him grace. Being patient. Being merciful. Being kind. And we, we, we know that. And we work in that. But there comes a time when the law has to stand up. And because of that, that man, instead of being lost, because this pastor told me, he said, I've been dealing with this for years. He said, I know this is his last chance. If I can't reach him, if he goes out, this is his last opportunity. And I told this pastor, I said, you know what? I said, I'm starting to get more of a revelation of how the law of God is, it works. You've got to lay it down because a person does not understand that what they, they don't understand what they need. They don't understand what salvation is. They don't understand what they're being saved from. They don't understand their life, that God has judged it by their law. You know, oh, come on, come on. I may not ever see you again, but one thing about it, if you find yourself in hell, you will hear this message again and again and again and again and again. You'll hear it over and over in hell. It's not because I didn't tell you the truth. It's not because God doesn't love you. It's because you made the grace of God lasciviousness. You use it as a license to disobey His Word. You understand? Good stuff, isn't it? And I was really praying for that situation. I was asking, I said, God, please don't let that man be lost. Because every time we've ever, ever been there in that church, that man has always been kind to us and tried to help us. I said, God, don't let him be lost. But that pastor has showed grace to, had showed grace to that man over and over and over because this man's family is in the church. And if this, if this man doesn't get his heart right, his spirit right, his attitude right, He's going to affect other people. Destroy himself. So thank God for the truth. The truth. It's the truth that makes you free. There is, come here brother. There is nobody that is your true friend that will walk up and pat you on the back and say, it's okay for you to keep living like you're living. That person is not your friend. It's somebody that will tell you the truth. It's not going to let you just sit there on the pew all Laodicea, lukewarm and carnal. Now, I'm, not, I'm trying to speak in love. I don't know if you can discern that. <laughs> still, still the truth. Maybe I, need, maybe I need to incorporate that phrase a lot. I heard, heard one guy, he was speaking on, you know, immaturity in the church, you know. And he said, now I'm speaking in love. I'm speaking in love. So maybe I need to keep saying that. I'm speaking in love. Praise God, man. I'm going to tell you something. You're in, you're in danger. You're in a burning house. Your house is on fire. 
I'm not condemning you. Look at, look at me. I need it. I need this message more than you do. Because I have more accountability and more responsibility than you do. I'm preaching it hard because I'm preaching it to, the, to me. I'm telling you the truth. I'm preaching it to me. Watch what he says in verse 9. He brings him to that. He said, what then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. We're not better. I'm not better than you are. You're not better than I am. Paul says it. No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. The whole unredeemed world. Israel is not separate from mankind. Israel is in mankind. And all of mankind, whether you be Jewish or Gentile, all of mankind are under sin. All unredeemed mankind are under sin. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Your heritage, your nationality, it doesn't matter how much you've gone to church. It doesn't matter if you've been through a ritual of baptism. Do you hear me today? Yes, if you, if you do it properly, you do it with repentance, it does remit your sin. But if you just, you know, you want to keep living in sin and you go down in baptism in Jesus' name, you just got wet is my point. If all you went through is just an outward ritual, an outward baptism, or an outward circumcision, didn't save you. If you're still living in sin. You wasted the preacher's time. You wasted your time. He should have repented and then got baptized. Hello. Well, what advantage, pastor? Are you here? What are you trusting in? For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. It is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Literally, he says, not anybody is righteous. Not anybody is in a right relationship with God. Not anybody is in right standing with God. Everybody is under sin. Now watch. Apart from the gospel. He has proven everybody. You know what he's just done? Paul has condemned the whole world. Jew or Gentile makes no difference. He condemned the whole world and said the whole world is under sin. The whole world is guilty. And then he brings the the arraignment. He lists 13 separate indictments that prove the whole world is guilty. Watch this. Number one, there is none that understandeth. He said, nobody understands. What that means is, nobody in themselves even knows how to get right with God. 
nobody in and of themselves apart from God's divine revelation even knows how to be right with God. What steps or even what He requires. So for you to go about your life to try to, by your own good works, your legalism, be right with God, you don't even know what it takes. You don't have the knowledge of what it takes to be right with God according to His standard. Because you don't know His standard. You, you have a, a, you know, maybe a conclusion of what you think God requires that will put you in salvation with God. But ultimately, none of us knew what it took on our own to be right with God. None of us understood. He goes on. Next indictment. And this is in the area of the character of man. The character. We don't understand. None that seeketh after God. What are you talking about, pastor? Nobody, not anybody, is seeking after God? Nobody? What about all these religions? What about all these churches? And you're saying, Paul, that nobody's seeking after God? What about the Jewish nation? You're saying nobody's seeking after God? Here's what the point is. Just because you're religious doesn't mean you're seeking God. In fact, a lot of religions are nothing more than man running from God. Running from God. What God requires. On their terms. Everybody that goes to church today didn't go to church to seek God. All the religions of the world out there today are not man's effort to seek God. They are man's effort to run from God. So then go to church and say, I went to church today. I feel better. But are you saved? I got the guilty feeling lifted. Because the preacher told me I'm not supposed to feel guilty. So I got rid of the guilty feeling. I didn't go to church to see God. I went there to get my guilty feeling lifted. And for a preacher to tell me it's okay to live like I want to live. And don't feel guilty about that. Do you understand that? Man's religion is man running from God. This is heavy, isn't it? How many religious people you know? How many people, your friends, family, they're religious. They're religious, man. They're religious. And they feel real good in the religion, right? <laughs> don't confuse me with the truth. Whatever you do, don't confuse me with the truth. Because I'm pretty satisfied, you know. I mean, old pastor so-and-so, he said it's this way. And my denomination said it's this way. So don't confuse me with the facts. You see what I'm talking about? That is man's running from God. Not man seeking God. I tell you how you know where they are. You show them the truth. If they really are seeking God, they'll go with the truth. If they're not seeking God, 
All they're a part of is a religious system that justifies them in their own mind. Don't confuse me with the facts, preacher. I've been raised this way all my life. Do you understand? How many people you know like that? How many of us are like that? Pastor, I'm seeking God. Can you help me on this? <laughs> sure. And then I tell him the truth. Oh. Well, I kind of, you know, I think I'll do it this way. You weren't seeking God. Why did you even call me? You're not going to do not going to do it anyway. It's a camouflage. It's a, it's a mask that people live behind. Don't be deceived. You know what our world is becoming? It's becoming more religious. They're not following Jesus. They're not obeying His commands. They're not committed to Him. They're not surrendered to Him, mind, will, and emotions. All they've got is religion. And religion will never save you. Religion will never save you. No denomination will ever save you. No organization will ever save you. No Bible college will ever save you. Come on. There's no security in that. Watch. And you think about all those people in New Orleans. They put their confidence in government. The local government that those levies were strong enough. Well, hey, honey, if you only build them for a Category 3, don't you think possibly a Category 4 or 5 will come in your history at some point? And all those people putting their security in the government and then some of them, oh, yeah. Oh, it's going to be okay, you know. We've had this before, and it just came through, and everything was all right. Well, some of them are in a watery grave right now. Their own houses became their caskets. Where are you putting your confidence? Where are you putting your security? False security. Indictment. Nobody understands. There is none that seeks after God. We are self-centered, egotistical people. We are selfish, self-centered, and egotistical, and full of pride. Apart from God's grace and His moving by His Spirit in our life and the Word of the Lord, we would all give in to the self-life. Self-centered and egotistical. Oh, yeah. Pastor, can you help me? Oh. I mean, I didn't mean to put you in pain. And I'm not really even trying to put you in pain right now. Although some of you look like you are in pain. Yes, Lord. They are all gone out of the way. Because they don't understand... God, His standard, they don't, come on, seek God. As a result of that, they go away from God. Come on. 
That's the, that's the results. That's just the way it is. Okay. The word seek God, literally, or let me read it again here. They are gone all out of the way or they have turned aside. Is a military term that means they have drifted in the wrong, they are leaning in the wrong direction. They desert, literally the word means they desert in the midst of battle. They are deserters. When, when <clears throat> the kingdom gets in warfare and gets in battle, that comes out. People start leaning the wrong direction and they desert the kingdom of God in the midst of battle. They give in to their rebellion. See, as long as it's comfortable, as long as you make the pew comfortable for them, as long as you make everything comfortable for them, it's going to be all right with them. But as soon as the battle hits, then that's manifest. That rebellion in the heart of people is manifest and they desert in the midst of battle. I don't want to desert in the middle of battle. That's what that word means. That's what it means. They turned out of the way. They are together become unprofitable or useless. And the word unprofitable or useless means sour milk. They have become like sour milk. They are useless to God. They are useless to His church. They are unprofitable. They're like sour milk. Can't drink it. Heavy. This is heavy, isn't it? See, I want to be useful to the Lord. I want to be profitable to the Lord. I don't want to become like sour milk. There's no more value. How many of y'all ever drink, drink, you know, you went and got your milk out of the refrigerator. You thought it was pretty good, good milk. Poured it in the glass. You're thirsty. You just take a big old drink. And all of a sudden, man, it hits you. Whoa, there is something. Whoa. <laughs> you know. And out it goes. Well, that's the way God is. He just vomits it. Sour milk. This is God's, His arraignment, His indictment. In the area of character. He says there is none that doeth good. No not one. Nobody has lived up to the holy standard of God. No good. Paul says in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. For me to walk around and say I'm a pretty good old guy. There's nothing in me that's good but God. There's nothing good in you but God. So if I'm relying upon my own goodness, that declares that everything he's just said before about the indictments are true. It defines my lack of goodness. I don't understand. I don't seek God. I turn away from the Lord. I am useless to God. That defines my lack of goodness. My corruption. We're corruption. We're full of corruption. The United States of America, full of corruption, full of sin. We live in a corrupt culture. 
Look at those people in New Orleans right now. They were, they were in that big stadium, you know, and raping and murdering each other right there. Do you understand? Watch. Are y'all going to stay with me a little longer? That was their character. Then he talks about their mouth. 13, their conversation. He said their throat is an open sepulcher. All you got to do is just listen to somebody talk. When they open their mouth, what comes out? Death. Death. Comes out of their mouth. It's, their mouth is a sepulcher. It's a graveyard. It comes out death. You understand? Where are people today? Where, where, do they, where do they like to focus on? They like to focus on death. He goes on. Are you here today? With their tongues, they have, they use, they have used deceit. Their tongues are like, they are deceitful. Our tongues are deceitful. Our tongues are like, our mouth is like a graveyard. Full of death. We use our tongues deceitfully. You know what the word deceitfully means? It means to bait the hook. To disguise the danger with bait. Okay. So we walk around. We bait the hook. To, to cover up. That's deception. People are good at talking, man. They, they're, they're pretty good at talking their way out of things. Deceiting and lying, you know cover up the, the truth, the real truth. You understand? Deceit, the poison of asp is under their lips. They're, they got, they're, they're just, just like it says, their mouth is full of poison. You know an asp, the fangs of an asp are located in their folded back up underneath their, their mouth. Their fangs are. Then they open their mouth and they get ready to bite you. What they'll do, they'll extend those fangs out. You didn't even know they were there. That pew. See? So that's the way we are. We like, we like, yeah. You can't see my fangs. And all of a sudden, they come out. And we are just, we're just distributing poison with our mouth, our tongues. Constantly slandering and gossiping. You understand? The poison of ass is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Go around cursing doesn't mean that, and, and it is true that people are full of cursing. Um, I mean, you know, foul language. But that's not what it's talking about. Only here, cursing. Using, you know, questionable talk. It's cursing is the ideal of going out and seeking to bring about destruction upon another person. Curse their life. Try to destroy their life with the mouth. And bitterness that comes from that, that cursing. Are you with me here? That's, friend, this is who we are. Apart from redemption. That's who we are. 
The Bible goes on and it says this, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. And then he talks about next their, their conduct. He said their feet are swift to shed blood, murder. Do you know in, in your generation there has been more murder than all the wars put together in history? More people have been murdered than have died on the battlefield in war? Murder. People taking other people's life murder that is a manifestation of the heart of man the conduct that's heavy think about that yes yes now watch this he goes on and says destruction and misery are in their ways Self-explanatory. Go about destroying. People destroy all the time. I mean, you don't have to teach little Johnny or little Susie to be destructive. Don't have to. We got a school over here close to the church. And as soon as they let those kids out, you know, we got busted sprinkler heads. We got painted doors. They got all kinds of marks on the door. Nobody had to show them how to do those marks. Nobody had to show them how to break those sprinkler heads. Nobody had to show them how to destroy. We are destructive by nature. We are self-destructive. You know what I need deliverance from more than anything? I don't need deliverance from the devil all the time. I don't need deliverance from the world all the time. You know where I need deliverance? I need deliverance from me, honey. Because I am self-destructive. And everybody in this church, I don't care who you are, you are self-destructive by nature. You'll put that needle in your arm. You'll try to kill yourself. You know why? Because everybody hates themselves. I hate myself. You hate yourself. I know you don't want to admit it, but that's the truth. That's why you'll put the needle in your arm. That's why you'll OD on drugs. That's why you'll put that gun to your head and contemplate killing yourself. Because inside of us, we hate ourselves. So if we don't destroy ourselves by drugs or physically, we destroy ourselves socially. We destroy ourselves financially. We find a way to destroy ourselves. We don't need anybody to help us. We are self-destructive. Do you believe that? How many of you ever come to terms with that in yourself? You don't have to lift your hand. I would hate to indict anybody here. But you have come to terms with the fact inside of you that you really hate yourself. It's the truth. That's why that people do what they do. They destroy somebody else's property because they hate themselves. Serious stuff. But this is what Paul says. This is what God says. Destruction. And they leave misery in their ways. Behind them, pain and agony and misery, and broken lives, and broken hearts, destroyed children, 
destroyed families, destroyed churches. Yeah, just, you know, be destructive and leave it all behind for somebody else to try to clean up. Let somebody else deal with the pain I've inflicted. And I'll just go about and I'll, I'll, you know, act like I'm happy and I'm pursuing my happiness. But we're self-destructive. We've got to have the grace of God. We need salvation. We need to be saved. This is what we need to be saved from. Yeah. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. There's no peace. Peace. Peace is not something you seek. Peace is something you make. Something you make. We are peacemakers. Well, I got peace, Pastor. Really? Is that why you're in war constantly with your husband and your wife? And your children? People in the church and people in the job? Oh, you're peace-loving people. Yeah. You, you come in here to act like that. You come in here with your face on. You know, I'm peace-loving. Yeah, you're peace-loving, all right. Until somebody crosses you. And then we find out where to... See what I'm saying? You have to be a peacemaker. The people of God are peacemakers. By nature, we are not peace seekers. We have to determine, I'm going to make peace here. I'm making it in my mind. I'm going to have peace here. Do you understand? Lord, I'll tell you, a lot of us are just looking for something to turn loose on. Oh, but not you, not the person you're sitting by. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not talking to anybody here but me. Yeah, no. Y'all all peace-loving people. You got your little... Why do I have to get in the middle of all that stuff then and try to make peace out of it? I know somebody else. I told somebody the other day, and I'm not going to tell you who because you'd, you'd freak them out if I did. <laughs> but I told them, I said, I'll tell you what you do. I said, I can't do nothing about it. I said, just go beat each other's brains out. That's what I told them. I said, you just go knock each other's heads off. Just go fight to the death. I said, you know, sometimes from war, lines and, and are drawn and boundaries are drawn. So if you need a good war, just go have it because I can't fix it. And I called him back. I said, how'd it go? He said, it went pretty good. He said, everything's better? Yeah, things are better. I said, good. Sometimes you can't make peace without war. Peace is not just laying down and just letting it go to hell. You got to fight, man. You got to make war at times. Just to lay some boundaries. You got to make the peace. No, not in here. Not, not acceptable here. Over my dead body. (laughs) 
No wonder the Lord said, let the priests weep, weep between the porch and the altar so that they could step on him on the way to the altar. Just, oh, hey, oh, now I'm at the altar. What are you doing down there, Pastor? Make peace. This is real. The way of peace have they not known. There is, and the motive is. You know why? Because there is no fear of God before their eyes. If you don't fear God, then all of these things, these 13 indictments, you will live them. Fear? Oh, we're not supposed to preach fear. Really? Who said? Your psychologist? Your school professor? Your preacher, whoever he is? Come on, I don't, I don't claim to be your preacher just because you come to my church. Some of you have other preachers you listen to. That's what I'm saying. We are supposed to preach the fear of the Lord because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You don't fear God. When I first started preaching, and it really wasn't much, but I'd stand up and I'd just, I'd just teach and preach and stuff. And the greatest compliment that was ever given me was a little girl in the church. She said, that man fears God. That's the greatest compliment I have ever received from anybody. That man fears God. If you fear God, come on. If you don't fear God, you'll cuss like a sailor. You'll rip people off. You'll destroy them. You'll murder them. You'll live in sin if you don't fear God. Yeah, come on. I need to fear God. I need to respect God. I need to reverence God. Now watch this. Can y'all stay with me a few, a few minutes longer? Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all of the world may become guilty before God. If the whole world is guilty before God, then that means I have to find out His way to be right with Him. Guilty, condemned. The whole world. That's what the law says. The law stops every mouth and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. What I just got through preaching to you is the law of God. It gives you a knowledge of sin. Gives you a, the purpose of the law was not given to save you. The, the law is the executor. The law is the x-ray machine. It defines sin for us. It shows us what we need to be saved from. It drives me to other hopelessness and despair. It's supposed to. That's why it was given. It was never given to justify you with God. It was never given to make, to make you right with God. It was given to drive you to faith. 
You understand? So when you hear somebody stand up and preach, say, well, we don't need the law anymore, and we don't use the law here. Well, <laughs> then what you have is probably a lost people in that house. A church full of lost people. They never hear anything about the judgment of God. They never hear anything about what God requires. His law, His righteousness, His holiness, His wrath. What they need to be saved from. They don't hear that. And because of that, they live in sin. Because they don't have fear. You understand? Grace, 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 grace is all that's ever preached. And so they feel like, well, grace covers everything. Watch. That's where Israel was too. We're, God knows us. We're His people. But Israel, remember, with the covenant and the election comes the conditions of the responsibility. Amen. I love you. Watch this. Verse 21. But now is the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. What does he mean by that? The righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law. He says without the law, and then he says by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God. Well, in one sense, he's talking about legalism. Legalism. Legalism doesn't save me because you know what legalism is? When you hear somebody say legalism, I'm not a legalist or they're a legalist. You know what legalism is? It's not what people make it out to be or define it to be. Legalism is man's way of approaching God. But you'll hear people who look at you and you're living holy and they'll say you're in legalism. You are absolutely an idiot. Because that is not what legalism is. Legalism is going your own way. Holiness is going God's way. And I'm telling you, you're going to hear that from now till Jesus comes. You're in legalism. You're in bondage. They don't even know what legalism is. Do you understand? Legalism. I'm, I'm saved apart from the law. I'm saved apart from legalism. I'm saved from trying to get to God my way has nothing to do with your standard of holiness our standard of what we believe and what we preach out of this book that tells us how to live after we get saved that is not legalism legalism is man's way to God but I'm telling you they, they use that as license I'm under grace I hope I'm helping somebody here. But now the righteousness of God without the law or legalism is manifested. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God. What did that Old Testament teach? It did not teach the law that the law of Moses was given to save man. It never said that. It was never given for that purpose. Whether you're a legalist trying to find your own way. 
or you're trying to be right with God by keeping the Old Testament law. Trying to be good enough. Either way, that's not the reason why it was given. It manifests God's righteousness, God's standard. It defines sin. Come on. It was the x-ray. It was the executioner. That drove you to a place where, go get your blood sacrifice. You're in sin. Go get a sin offering. Go get a burnt offering. You need an offering. You need a sacrifice. You need to repent. You need to obey God. Grace doesn't give you a license to live unholy. Say, okay, grace of God covers that. (laughs) Oh, really? Where did you get that? That is not in this book. That is in religion. That's in psychology. That's philosophy. What he's saying is we are saved apart from the law. We are saved apart from legalism. Getting there our own way. Are misinterpreting and misapplying God's word. Thinking that by obeying its commands. That that's what saves us. The problem is we've all come short of it. And the grace of God didn't put it aside. It establishes it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Let me read a little bit further here. The righteous God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Righteousness of God. How to be right with the Lord. How many would you like, like to know how to be right with God? How to be in a right relationship with the Lord. Are you tired of trying to do it your way? Get there your way? Thinking you were good enough to go to heaven? You understand? The righteous of God. Watch this. Even the righteous of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. That's exactly what the Old Testament said. The Old Testament said you're justified by faith, Abraham. It didn't say you're justified by the law. You're justified by faith. Faith. Total commitment and surrender and belief in God, His work. His work. Are y'all getting tired? Even the rights of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Now remember, when we talk about believing, we're not talking about just accepting facts or having facts or having knowledge. The devil has multiplicity of knowledge and facts. But the devil's lost. It's not just that you have a knowledge of the word or have facts about Jesus' death for you and burial and resurrection for you that makes you right with God. Not just having, an, not just the fact that you agree with the Lord about your life and about what He's done for you. That doesn't save you just agreeing with the Lord or accepting Him as your personal Savior. That is not in the Bible. The question is, has he accepted me? 
And the only way he accepts me is on his terms. It's the question, have you accepted the Lord as your personal Savior? You're funny. You're being fed a lie. You are being lied to. You are being deceived. Does God accept you is the question. You can agree with the Lord. You can agree with His Word. You can think fondly of the Lord. You can be fond of the Lord. Have good thoughts about the Lord Jesus Christ. And still be lost. John 2, we read it Wednesday night. Many believed on His name when they saw the miracles that He did. But He did not commit Himself to them. You can believe on His name when you see miracles. But it doesn't mean He committed Himself to you. Because faith is not just belief. Faith is committed. If you're not committed, you're not walking Bible faith. Do you understand? Do you understand? The Bible says, even the rights of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. No difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody has come short. All of us. There's nobody. No difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace. How are we justified? How justified? It means the same thing as righteousness. How was I made right with God? How did I get in right standing with the Lord? How did He justify me? How? If my heritage doesn't do it, my ritual doesn't do it, my knowledge doesn't do it, my good works doesn't do it, then how did I get right with God then? How am I right with God this morning? How did he justify me? Put me in a right relationship with him. He imparted it. He laid it on my account based on what he did. The executioner who's just laid down the reasons for execution comes forth and says, I will become the executed for you. I'll take your place. You deserve execution. But I'll take your place. And I'll die for you. Justification is an exchange. Where he took my sin, my guilt, my condemnation, and the wrath of God. He took that and he put it on the Lord's account. Jesus did not become a sinner. It was put on his account. And his righteousness was put on my account. So that now God looks at, me, looks at me in right relationship with Him because of another's work, not mine. Isn't that an awesome message? That the executioner comes forth and becomes the executed. And that is the only way a man or a woman can be saved. There is no other way. And that is the true circumcision. Those who that have believed the gospel and who worship him in spirit are the true circumcision. They've been born again. Understand? I read it to you, Philippians 3. 
being justified freely, say freely. The word freely is the same thing, right standing. By His grace, He gave us what we didn't deserve. Through the redemption, how? Redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He paid the price. He redeemed us. We went through all of these, and I'm not going to go into detail on these. We went through these a few weeks ago. Redemption took us off the oxen block of sin, paid the price. That is in Christ Jesus, redeemed us. Say, He redeemed us. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. Propitiation has to do with the uh, tabernacle, has to do with the the, uh, ark of God. The judgment seat becomes a place of mercy. God is propitiated. His anger is satisfied. It's the satisfaction seat because the blood has been shed and the blood has been applied. So he paid the price to redeem you out of the slavery and bondage of sin. He was propitiated. God was propitiated through the work of Jesus Christ. Propitiation was a mercy seat. That judgment seat became a mercy seat because the blood had been shed and the blood was applied. And because of that, it became a satisfaction seat. Now God is satisfied. He's satisfied. Completely satisfied. Whom God hath raised forth to be a propitiation through faith in what? His blood. His blood. The finished work of the cross. His blood. This is a good news. To declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. He says, not only did my sin get taken care of at the cross, but all those Old Testament saints, all those sacrifices they brought to the altar, And the sins were just covered, never taken away. A true Jewish believer in the true Jewish Old Testament would understand that those sacrifices never took away sin. That good works never took away sin. I told you it was the misinterpreted and misunderstood teaching that led them astray. But somebody who had a real true understanding of the Old Testament understood the purpose of the law was to drive you to faith. Was to drive you to a place where you'd offer a sacrifice so that it would... Stand in your place. And God will be satisfied based on the blood that was shed. The blood of another. Do you understand? Faith in His blood. Say the blood of Jesus. I don't preach a bloodless gospel. It's the blood of Jesus. The precious blood of Jesus. It's the blood that cleansed my sin. It's the blood that redeemed my soul. It's the blood that became a propitiation for me that satisfied God. It was the blood of Jesus. The precious blood. Faith in His blood. Thank God for the blood. Jesus' blood. All those IOUs of all the shed blood of all those animals throughout the Old Testament history. That's all they were, were IOUs. They did not take away the sin of anybody. They covered the sin. They were an atonement. And then when Jesus came, He paid all the IOUs. Paid it in full with His blood. So that all those sacrifices pointed to the blood. Come on. 
pointed to the blood. Now we look back to the blood. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. God is so good and so long-suffering that even before the Lord Jesus Christ came to the world and shed his blood on Calvary for you, he made a way for man to approach him by way of sacrifice, blood sacrifice. And he covered that sin, he covered that sin, he rolled it ahead, he rolled it ahead, he rolled it ahead. Year after year, he rolled it ahead, he rolled it ahead, and forbear with them, long-suffering with them. Until at the cross, all of that I owe you was laid on him. Yeah, that's a good God. That's a good God. That's a merciful God. That's a gracious God. That's the only way you can get saved. To declare, I say, at verse 26, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that, it might, that He might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. God had to find a way that man, He didn't find a way, He already had the way whereby he could make a sinful man and woman right with himself not condoning the sin and at the same time not breaking his law but fulfilling the law and that was through the death of his son not condoning the sin in the person he loved not breaking the law that he gave but by dying and paying the price himself that's the way he did it. That is the greatest message there is. It's the gospel of God. It's the good news of God. We read it again. To declare I say at this time his righteous that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Justification is simply this. How a man became right with God. The finished work of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Watch this. Isn't this good? See how Paul used the law? He used the law, showed them their need, what their need was, and then showed them the answer, the remedy. The x-ray says this, but the x-ray can't, break the can't mend the fracture. But here's the answer, to, here's the remedy to mend the fracture. The dislocation between God and men. Here's the way we put that back together. I know you're getting tired, but let me, let me complete this. He says, verse 27, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. I don't stand before God and say, now I'm right with you, God, because I'm just such a good person and I do so much for you and I, I'm a pastor and I'm a preacher and, you know, that's, I'm right with you, God, and on my way to heaven. That's not why. It's because Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the finished work. See, you might be better than me and I might be better than some of you, but that didn't save you. And some of you might be living in real gross immoral sin but you know what there's good news for you you can be redeemed 
you can be saved. God is satisfied. God's not mad at you. God's not angry at you. He is at the sin. Because the sin destroys you. He loved you enough to die for you. To deliver you from that bondage. To deliver you from that indictment. To deliver you from that arraignment. To deliver you from that corrupt situation that we were in. It's a powerful message. By the law of faith. Say faith. Now what is faith? Biblically faith is this. Faith is. It involves your will. Faith involves your will. You have to choose. Right? Make a decision of your will. It involves your will. It involves your emotions. It involves your emotions. It involves your intellect. You have to know the gospel. It involves your, it involves your mind. You're choosing your emotions. You ever hear somebody say, boy, that, those Pentecostal people, they're just emotional. That's, all it is is just a bunch of emotion. Well, honey, I got news for you. That is true. Because salvation affects your emotion. You can't be saved and it not affect your emotion. It, affect, it affects your whole being. Because there's a total submission of your mind, your will, and your emotions in salvation. You better believe I get emotional about this. You, I'm going to praise Him. I'm going to run. I'm going to shout. I'm going to express my thanksgiving to Him. You better believe it affects my emotions. And, and some people use that, well, they're just emotional thing to exempt themselves from being praisers. Because they don't want to be all emotional. Are you funny? If you get saved, it affects all of your being. You can't get saved. And it not affects your mind, your will, and your emotions. It is impossible. Somebody said, you just won a million dollars. Do you just throw your emotions off to the side? Say, my mind tells me right now that I won a million dollars. My mind, okay, mind says go put in bank, okay. What are you, some kind of robot? I got a million dollars. Go to the bank right now, put it in with... You mean that's the way church is supposed to be? When you got the greatest gift and the greatest redemption and the greatest purchase and the greatest forgiveness that's ever been given and you don't think we're supposed to be emotional? You think we're just supposed to sit on a pew? You better believe it's going to affect my emotions. You go to a church, they're not emotional. They probably aren't saved. I'm telling you the truth. They got a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. You get in a house where somebody knows they're saved. They've experienced salvation, their mind, their will. Boy, they're going to be emotional, man. Why y'all run? Why you shout? 
Well, I'm not going to hell. How about you? I'm going to heaven. I'm going to a place that's so awesome and so glorious because Jesus made the way for me. And you want me to be quiet and be sedate, formal? You're telling me that my salvation is not supposed to affect me emotionally? All those Pentecostal people, they're just emotional, you know, crazy. You better believe we are. We're crazy in love with Jesus. We're, we're insane. We dance, we shout, we run, we... Can I tell you, can I tell you a little secret? When I was a Lutheran lost on my way to hell... And I was. I'd go to church. I hated to go to church when I was little. <sighs> go to church, just sit there. Just, I was in pain the whole time. <laughs> this is not pain. I was in pain. Because <laughs> there was nothing going on, man. You know. Didn't remember a word they said. Nothing going on. You know what I mean? No emotion involved. Just so formal. Liturgical. You know? So that's my background. The quiet, sedate, formal church. I wasn't raised in this. And I remember the first time I went to a Pentecostal church, I said, I'll never act like these crazy people. Got one over here crying, and got another one over here standing over here laughing. I said, which one's right? The one laughing or the one crying? I couldn't figure out what in the world was going on in that place. I'm a Lutheran. And my friend tried to keep me from going. He said, now, Jerry, he said, you don't want to go to that church because they get you and throw you down on the ground. I said, really? He said, yeah, they throw you on the ground. I said, I got to go check this out. I didn't know it, but my best friend, my pot-smoking buddy, if you forgive me, my best friend had a Pentecostal background. So one day he said, hey, Jerry, you want to go to my church? I said, sure. I said, what kind? He said, Pentecostal. He said, I heard about them. They throw you on the ground, you know. He said, well, just come. Just go with me one time. I went. And that's when the one was crying and one was laughing. I couldn't figure out what was going on. But I knew one thing. When I left that house, they had something I didn't have. I knew they had something I didn't have. You know how I knew that? Because I saw the emotion that they had. I saw the tears. I saw the joy. I felt the love. I knew they didn't. I knew they had something I didn't have. And I said, I don't care if they do throw me down. I want what they've got. And believe it or not, this Lutheran, no emotional, formal person got filled with the Holy Ghost. And that Lutheran said, I'll never act like them. He's now running. He's now shouting. He's now praising God. He's now leaping. Hallelujah. So don't ever say, I'm never going to act like these idiots. Because when you get saved, it affects you emotionally. It's the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. So if you know somebody, they get a gift, you have to say, you're just all emotional. No, it's not just emotion. I got a gift. And because I got a gift, it produced an emotion. 
There's something behind the emotion. It's not just empty. It's not just shallow. It's not mindless. It has affected my whole being. What good is a salvation that don't heal your emotion? What good is salvation that doesn't heal your pain? What good is a salvation that doesn't fill you with joy? What good is a salvation that doesn't give you hope? It affects your emotion. Gives you peace. Gives you joy. Gives you love. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Gives you all that. Come on, man. I don't know nothing. I don't know nothing about that, that, that church stuff now that comes in and just sits on a pew. I don't know nothing about that anymore. And it gets, me, it gets me going when I preach to Pentecostals who have this message, who have heard the truth, who have experienced the new birth, and they just sit there like they're dead. Don't you understand the gospel? When's the last time you ever pulled a drunk and weren't emotional? I love to see some of y'all drunk. I'm not condoning and saying it's the right thing. I just love to see some of you drunk. Y'all come in here, y'all always oh, got this old face, you know. You won't move, you just sit there, look at me like I'm in a crazy nut, you know. Like this. I like to see you drunk. You're probably falling out all over the place. Yeah. I don't care what you say. Well, you, you know. You know what? You get drunk on the Holy Ghost. You get full of the Spirit of the living God. You don't care what people think, man. Honey, I knew how to twist off in the world. And it, you know what? I had problems after that, you know. Found myself with a head in a toilet the next morning. But you know what? Now I've got God. And there is nothing like it. And you're going to tell me to stop dancing and shouting and running. You're going to tell me not to get emotional. I have to be. If I don't, I'm going to end up into an insane asylum. I'm going to lose my mind. Man, I got something to be happy about. I got something to rejoice about. I know where I was. See, I'm not deceived about what God saved me from. I know where I was. I know what He saved me from. You look at me now and you look at, if you would have seen me then, you wouldn't probably recognize me a whole lot. You with me? But you know what did it? It wasn't because I was good. It was because of the grace of God that got a hold of me. Filled me with the Holy Ghost and changed my life. And I don't care what your lifestyle is right now. I don't care what it is. I don't care what immorality is. And I don't care what sin it is. You need to repent from that. And if you'll come to the Lord by faith, embrace His blood and get born again. You'll have a reason for living. You'll have a purpose in life. You'll find your purpose is not to make money. You're going to find your purpose and not to get an education. You're going to find your purpose, come on, is not to get that better job. Your purpose in life is to come in contact with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why He put you in this earth. is so that you could be reconnected with God Almighty. That's why you're here.
It's not so you can find another man or find another woman or find another relationship that disappoints you. He puts you in this world so that you could be in a relationship with him. And that is the only thing that will bring satisfaction in your life. A new car won't bring it. Money in the bank won't bring it. A better job doesn't bring it. Another relationship doesn't bring it. Only God can fill it, the empty place. See it? So that's why we get excited. That's why we shout. That's why we run. Because number one, we know how evil we are in and of ourselves. And the closer we get to God, the more evil we see in ourselves. And that's why we run and shout because we know that it took His power to save us and it takes His power to keep us. We're not better than anybody in here. And I pray to God this church never gets a spirit of self-righteousness about it. That, that gets an attitude that thinks that we're better than anybody. We are no better than anybody. We need Jesus just like they need Jesus. They need Jesus just like we need Jesus. It's awesome. It's awesome. When they got the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, people looked at and said, these people are drunk. They're drunk, man. These people are full of new wine. Another thing that won't bring it is religion. Some of you have been raised in church. You've been from one church to another church to another church to another church. And you knew inside there's got to be something more than this. I'm telling you there is. There is. And you've been preached to and you've been told that tongues are not for us today. And that the gifts of the Spirit are not for us today. And miracles are not for us today. That's what you were taught. I talked to somebody from out of town. They called me on the phone. They were sharing that one of these great theologians, and I know who he is, W.A. Criswell. He's no longer with us. One of the greatest writing theologians who ever lived would teach them against the gifts of the Spirit and speaking in tongues. But she said, you know what? I'm starting to move in me, in myself. I'm beginning to understand that there's something more. And I'm telling her, I said, you know what? You're exactly right. Let me share with you. This is for you. I said, this is for you. You can get the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. You can be delivered. You can be baptized in Jesus' name and have your sins washed away. People are looking today. They're seeking today for more than what they got. And I'm glad you walked in here today because I don't offer you a powerless salvation or a powerless gospel. A gospel that doesn't change your emotions and affect your emotions. I bring you a gospel that affects your total being. Everything in me. Everything in me. Everything inside of me has been affected. Everything on the outside of me has been affected. There's been a change. There's been a difference. This is the difference he's talking about. And it's by the finished work of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't mean that I still struggle at times. But you know what? I know where to go. I know where to go. When I stumble, I know where to go. I go to the rock that is higher than I. When I stumble, if I sin, I go to Jesus. I keep going back to him. The law drives me. My despair drives me back to him. I know he's my only hope. 
And that's what Paul is saying in this book of Romans here. Isn't this beautiful? A man is not justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Yeah, are you with me here? He's justified by faith without the deeds of the law, without legalism, trying to get to God his own way. He is the God of the Jew. Is he a God of the Jew only? Is he not also the Gentiles? Yes, to the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God, say one God, God. which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. Say faith. Do we then make the void, the, uh, make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. It wasn't thrown aside. He didn't throw it aside. It's still in place for its purpose. The purpose, God bless you. The purpose is it was given to drive you to despair, to drive you to faith. That was the purpose of the law. It was given to show you the righteous standard of God and your shortcoming of that do you understand you establish the law when you flee to Jesus for grace say God you're right about me you're right about my need this is the only way I can be right is through the blood of Jesus Christ isn't that awesome when I'm born again, I'm baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of those sins. Get filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues. I don't, the law doesn't go out the door. He didn't replace the law with grace. He continues to use the law for its proper purpose, which it was given for in the old and is still in effect in the new. Thank God for it. Thank God when I sin, if I do sin, if we sin. Not when we sin, but if we sin. Thank God if I sin, the conviction comes on me. Thank God His law stands up and says, that's not right. Thank God I feel the despair. Thank God I feel the guilt. Come on, thank God I feel the fear. Because the fear tells me, get out of the dangerous place. Thank God for all of that. I'm glad the law hasn't been laid aside. It's been fulfilled. I said it's been fulfilled. Do you understand these things? How is it fulfilled? How do I even keep the law? Repentance. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Being born again of the water and the Spirit. And in closing, let me just tell you this. That when you get born again of the water and the Spirit, that has nothing to do with the work of the law. It is a work of grace. It is a work of salvation. It is God's plan. You could get baptized a hundred times in this water, but you didn't remit your sin. God remitted your sin because you had faith in His blood. You didn't get the Holy Ghost because you deserved it. You got the Holy Ghost because the blood was shed for you. It's not a good work that you do. It's a work of God that you obey. God remits the sin. God fills you with the Holy Ghost. Not because you deserve it, but because of the work of the cross. Do you understand? you understand? So keep the law in its rightful place. In the place that God put it. Okay? It's not laid aside. It's not removed. Well, what about Hebrews? It said it's done away. 
It's not the law, the word of God that's done away. What has been removed is the condemnation of the law upon us. We are saved apart from the law. You talking about the Old Testament? No, we're talking about apart from legalism. We're, talk, we're talking about we are saved apart from trying to be right with God by keeping His standards in the Old Testament. That trying to make us saved. Once you get saved, you've established the law that God is right, that God is holy about, about sin. Are you with me? And my need for a Savior. And then when I get filled with the Holy Ghost, then and then only can I obey it. Then God gives me the ability to keep it or to obey it. Never does He tell me when I get born again that I don't have to obey His Word. Whether it be Old or New Testament. He tells me, now I have given you the ability to do something you couldn't do before. Am I right? Am I in the book here? Am I in the Bible? Because you're going to have your life. We're not under the law. You don't have to worry about trying to you know, do what's right. Are you? No. Paul said they deserve their right condemnation. Because now once you get born again, now God puts His law inside of you. He gives the want to to you. He gives you the desire to keep it. And He gives you the power to do it. So anything now I read in the Bible. Thou shalt not kill. You know how I uh, am able not to kill? Because of the power of God in me. And because He's changed my want to. I don't want to kill anymore. <laughs> Come on. Might have a thought every once in a while. <laughs> but God has changed my want to. You know. And now He's given me. Well, he changed my want to. Now He gives me power not to do it. Brother, I could walk up to you and I could tell you, love everybody. Impossible. It is impossible for you or I to love everybody. But that's what God tells us to do. Love God, love our neighbor. But you don't understand. He said, you don't understand. No man understands. You can't do that. Come on. I can't do that. I can't love everybody. But I'm commanded to. Then how am I going to? The only way is if His nature comes inside of me. Puts His law in my heart. Gives me the want to. And then the ability to do it. But I can't do it. And you can't do that. Do you understand? I'm not even talking, not even talking about... Immoral things. You know, don't do immoral things. I'm talking about just simply love everybody. How many of you love everybody? Everybody in this whole world? Even the pastor? That takes grace, man. And I know it takes grace for you to love the pastor. I know that. My point is, you can't do it. Sister, you're, you're, you, you know, and you're sweet, you're kind, you know, but, it, you know, in you, you can't love everybody. There's times you got to get down in prayer. you got to say, God, oh, Lord, you're going to have to take that emotion out of me, man. Lord, I want to kill him. God, 
But I'm commanded to love them, Lord. How can I love them, Lord? Lord God, you're going to have to take over right now. For their sake and mine, you're going to have to take over right now. Because if you don't take over. Do you get the point? That's why you've got to be born again. So you'll even want to do what's right. And then have the ability to do what's right. You've got the remedy. You've got the answer. Isn't this awesome? So that, did it make a difference in your life? Did it change you when you really got born again? How many of you stopped wanting to live like you used to live? And you used to just love it, man. You used to love popping the top. You used to put those spaghetti string dresses on and go out there and dance the night away, man. You loved it. You lived for it. And all of a sudden, God came in you and you said, you know what? I don't even like this place. What has been changed? You got a new nature. I don't even like dressing like that anymore. I don't even like going to that place anymore. I don't even like the way that nasty stuff tastes anyway. Do you understand? So you get to a place now, you learn to do evil. Do well. You learn to hate evil and you learn to do well. But that didn't produce salvation. That's what salvation produces. So now I'm free to surrender to God's power, to surrender to His salvation, to surrender to His deliverance and say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done in my life. Give me the want to and the power by your Spirit to live the way I'm supposed to. It hasn't taken the place of the law, it gives you the ability to keep it. We are not lawless. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, cast out devils in thy name, done many wonderful works in thy name? He will say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. The word is lawlessness. You that commit lawlessness, depart from me. You cannot be lawless. But here's the good news. He gave you the power to keep the law. To obey his word. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Honor thy father and thy mother. On and on it goes. I couldn't keep that. Thou shalt not covet. Don't even want to kill them. Don't even want to. Want to steal from them. Don't even want to. Dishonor them. Do you understand? Has there been a change in you? Do you now love the things you once hated and hate the things you once loved? Brother Daniel, are you able to love everybody now? Yes, you are. You're lying in church. I just got through telling you that you are able now because you got the Holy Ghost. You are able now because you have the want to and the power to keep it. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm able now. It was impossible before, but I'm able now. I can't be delivered from this addiction. You can't on your own, but by the power of God, you can. By redemption, you can. Pastor, I've been doing this for years. Yeah, but in a moment, God's power can deliver you and change your desire for that. He is able. He can transform your life. 
So that when people see you, they know there's been a change and they know there's a difference. See, I didn't know Sister Gloria before she before Jesus. I didn't know her, thank God. Because if I look wrong, look, maybe looked wrong at her, she'd have probably blew my house up. I don't know. No, maybe not that far, right? You were better than that. <laughs> but see, there's been a change in her life. And pretty soon, you know, Ricky, he's a pretty good old guy. But pretty soon, old Ricky, he's just going to just, okay. He just throw his hands up and surrender. He's going to say, lead me to the water, man. Baptize me in Jesus' name. I need the Holy Ghost. See, he's not far off. And believe it or not, there will be some change in him, Sister Gloria. I know he's almost perfect right now. But there will be some change for the good, I promise you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, I know him the way he is in public. <laughs> yeah, right. Everybody needs the Lord. I need the Lord. You need the Lord. Everybody needs the Lord. I need him every day. Man, there's things that, are, that I want that are not lawful. I need Him every day. Come on, I'm going to get real with you. I want things that is not lawful for me. They are wrong. But you know what? He steps in and said, no, son. Okay, got to change your want to. Give you power not to go there. Because if you didn't have God in you right now, every one of you give yourself to whatever you wanted. And you know it's wrong. And you know it's not right. Every one of us, including myself. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jesus. How many of y'all love the Lord today? And you're glad and you're thankful for this message. God can do it for you. I just want to leave that with you. God can do it for you. Doesn't matter how, how bad you are. Doesn't matter how what lifestyle you're in you know Paul killed the church people he persecuted them he said I was, he was the chief of sinners the farthest from heaven and the closest to hell was Paul but you know what Paul got born again and became one of the greatest apostles who ever walked so you might be the chief of sinners you might be the farthest from heaven and the closest to hell but the grace of God can reach down and change and transform your life and give you power and victory by the blood. And it's an ongoing submission of my will, my emotions, and my intellect to walk in that commitment and that submission to His Lordship that brings salvation. Love you. Let's stand. Father God, I just ask you to help us today. And by your power and your strength. Thank you for your grace. Redemption, the blood. I pray, Father, today. There are people who are here right now. That you desire to change and transform. And save. And I'm thankful today, God. For the power that's in your salvation. It's for everybody. There's only one God. Your name is Jesus. Only one Redeemer. He is the Lord. Only one way to God. The blood of Jesus. His resurrection and ascension. The new birth in my life. In yours. 
I thank you, God, for this great gospel, this good news that you are offering. I'm not offering it, Lord. You're offering it. People are disconnected, lost, separated from you. You're offering reconciliation, relocation. In the name of Jesus, we pray for every soul that has come to this house this morning to hear this word, that have been convicted by the law. Those that need to change and those that need to repent, those that need to flee to you for mercy. God, having heard that word, that they would obey it, they would repent and flee to you, Father. I thank you, Lord, that if they do come to you, that you'll in no wise cast them out. We have promised that. We have all come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I thank you for the faith, Lord, for the truth to set me free. And everybody, no matter their condition, can also receive the same salvation. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise.